Today I'll talk about the murder of Jared Bridegan, the relationship between head injuries and disappearances. I'll reveal the next case for the monthly series Unfound Now, and I'll cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including what was that thing outside the Amarillo Zoo? I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for June 27, 2022. Hello, everyone. It is the live show for June 27th, 2022. Of course, you are, if you were listening to the podcast version of it, then I guess it is your version is the June 28th live show. But here we are on a Monday night on YouTube. I'm doing fine, been busy, as is usually the case. I have a fantastic live show ready for all of you. Some of the topics we're going to be discussing tonight are, and this is a topic that kind of um, I've touched on once in a while, but we're going to do it again because of something uh, that very uh, sadly happened to a friend of mine's very good friend. And I did not know this person who had this happen to her, but I want to talk about that. Uh, a little bit. So we're going to be talking about head injuries as they relate to disappearances tonight. Going to be talking about um, an interview that I did that is now public. We're going to be talking a little, uh, even though I do not consider myself to be a, a serial killer expert, um, being that we've now done two episodes where James Tolliver is considered to be the perpetrator. I want to talk a little bit more about him because... Just had some really uh, interesting conversations last night during the Think Tank uh, on here, a Patreon people. We're going to talk about uh, the murder of Jared Bridegan. Bridegan, Bridegan. We're going to be talking about uh, this very weird, kind of an offbeat story about the Amarillo Zoo and what's going on there. We're also going to talk about a body that uh, washed ashore in Galveston, Texas a couple years ago that has not been identified yet. And why could that be? I got some excellent questions from the audience uh, that I'll be uh, answering uh, here and there tonight. And then, of course, I have a lot of other unfound stuff that I will mix in there as well. I've got a lot. You know me. Uh, I can fill up the two hours of this live show pretty easily. But first, I need to go right to this point. I need to give a shout-out to my best buddy, Bentley. Yes, I know he's only three years old, but he had something happen to him recently. He's going to be fine. I want everybody to know he's going to be fine. I've been told that he's laughing. He's uh, really um, charming the nurses where he is and like i said i think he's going to recover from all of this perfectly fine this little boy bentley but bentley i'm looking at you you're going to be fine uh 
your uh, family member has been uh, keeping uh, me updated. I'm thinking of you, Bentley, and I want you to know uh, that everything is going to be okay. All right? I want you to know that, Bentley. Uh, So you take care. Maybe uh, I'll actually get to meet you in person one of these days, which would be pretty cool. Of course, I don't have any kids, but that doesn't mean I don't like kids. But uh, Bentley, uh, maybe we'll get to meet one of these days, and that would be cool. But this is coming from your best bud, Ed. Okay, Bentley, you take care of yourself. You just uh, keep being cool like you are, okay? Don't change anything. All right, so hello, Bentley. You can, I don't know, you're, I know you're going to be seeing this because your family member told me that they were going to show this video to you. So I just want to give you a shout out. I'm going to give you a wave and you take care. Everything is going to be fine. All right. Um, So before I get started, just want to remind all of you, if you are not yet a subscriber to this channel, I don't know why you're not, but that button's right down here if you're watching live in the video. And if you're listening, uh, just find go to the YouTube channel and find the YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button. If you're feeling a little more frisky, maybe you want to hit the join button. That gets you some special privileges. Of course, we have an unfound now that's going to be coming out. And all of you who are members get it a week early. So... Um, be aware of that. So just for the low, low price of 10 cents a day, there is no inflation at Unfound. It's always 10 cents a day. Of course, share this video. Give it a thumbs up. You know, give it uh, the old thumbs up this video as you are watching uh, tonight. And um, you know that this video, you know these live shows are always spectacular. Just just do it now, and it'll be off your mind. A little less stress in your life if you just give the video a thumbs up right now. So uh, everything is uh, going well here. So what what are some of those things that are happening right now? Of course, in a couple of weeks, two weeks from now, I will be in Illinois, the state of Illinois. I will drive up there probably that preceding uh, Saturday, so two days, like what would that be? Uh, two Maybe like June 9th. I'll start my drive up there, maybe get there on June 10th. Going to be staying with one of my best friends from college. His name is Dave. That's where the PDGA uh, Masters Worlds are happening. It's essentially a big tournament for old people. And I'm looking forward to it. And it is unusual in that the tournament starts on a Tuesday and goes through, well, if you make the cut, it goes through Saturday. If you don't, you only play till Friday. I think I can make the cut. I hope to make the cut. I should make the cut. But we'll see what happens. And um, I'm going to be in the Peoria, Illinois area for that time. So maybe get there on that Sunday and be there till Saturday, something like that. And then from there, my plan is to drive eastward to Pennsylvania to see my dad for a couple days and then to come back here to Florida. Maybe I'll end up back here. Let me think 9th, 16th, 17th, 18th. 
maybe around the 20th, something like that floor. So I'll be gone from my condo here for um, about uh, July 9th to July 20th. Big trip. But I have not been going to a ton of disc golf tournaments this year. Kind of been saving up so I can go to this one. Of course, there's going to be driving involved with gas prices and everything. Very fortunate uh, to get to stay at Dave's. But I'm going to be, you know, there will be some uh, housewarming gifts and uh, things like that, of course, associated with me staying with him and his wife and his two sons. But that is coming up. And I'm really looking forward to it. I have a little bit of uh, revenge to get on um, the Worlds because I uh, did not play well in Orlando last year, which is where they were last year in August. So I'm looking forward to that. What am I going to be listening to or, or uh, dare I say it, watching on that long drive? Haven't quite figured that out yet. Um, I've been thinking, do I want to go back and listen to all of the, like from the beginning, all of the ACDC albums that's been on my mind. Uh, it's also been on my mind. Do I want to go back and listen to all of the Aerosmith albums? Maybe, um, we'll just have to see. Don't know. Uh, I got a lot, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of choices between Spotify and then I have Disney plus and I have uh, Netflix and all of that. And I have my tablet. I know you're not supposed to watch things and drive. I get it. Anyway. Um, so I haven't figured out what I'm doing right there. But I'm sure I'll come up with something uh, interesting uh, to, to listen to, watch, or whatever on my drive to Illinois. And I think I've been through Illinois once. I think that was it. I think. I think that was it. So uh, that should be an interesting trip. Uh, I do gain an hour going from Florida to Illinois, at least this part of Florida. Part of Florida is in the central time zone up in the panhandle, but not where I am here. So I gain an hour driving there, but I'll lose an hour driving to my dad's. I'll just have to figure out that out when the time comes. So that's coming up very quickly. I want to remind all of you once again, please uh, give this video a thumbs up. As you are watching, whether it's on your tablet, your phone, your laptop, whatever else. Let's see who's in here tonight. Karen, Susan, Kathy, Charlotte. Cherie back in the house after uh, a nice vacation, right, Cherie? And she got the little uh, rock uh, emojis going on. You get that when you become a member of uh, this channel for the low, low price of 10 cents uh, a day. Hello, Jasmine. There's Hope. What's going on? There's Hope. Good to see you. Ashley Twinkle was just talking to Twinkle earlier. Hello, Twinkle. And Laura, good to see you. And uh, yeah, to Bentley, wishing good luck to Bentley. Yeah, he is a cutie. Um, there's Hope Positive Chan there. Everybody's uh, chiming in about Bentley. I love it. And uh, Shree saying the weather here in South Texas is really bad right now. We keep losing power. Is brown? Uh, when you say bad, do you mean like thunderstorm, Shree? Is that is that what you're saying, or is it uh, just the heat? And how about those Astros? Yeah, well, they were beating the the Yankees last Thursday, Shree, and they uh, blew that lead, right? Um, 
Kathy's talking to, there we go. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Um, the real, Hey, there's the real coming in from Australia. Hello. Uh, hello to you. The real, I have to head to the city for the day right now. We'll be watching this tonight. Okay. Uh, the real, always good to have, uh, Australia tuning in. And there's somebody else here that's from Australia too. Who else here is from Australia? Maybe I just remember the real, uh, a little better because she's also part of the think tank and everything. I know somebody else in here, uh, is also, from australia that tunes in every week and i apologize for uh forgetting who you are maybe you're in here right now um yeah one massive no hitter against the yankees that's true sheree that's true yes nice vacation okay so that's what's going on with me and uh you may be wondering well what are you going to do about the live show next week ed it's july 4th i haven't figured that out yet uh, I will surely let all of you know. We'll do something. I'm not going to get a little thing like Independence Day get in the way of this important live show. So, may move it to Tuesday. I don't know. Probably move it to Tuesday, but we'll just have to see. Uh, so, there's that. Uh, yesterday, what else is going on in my private life? You know, I, I do reveal some of my private life on this live show, and I've been doing that for a long time. But there are a lot of new listeners. Uh, the downloads of this live show as a podcast have been very, very good. So, there's a lot of people hearing me talk about myself for like the first time because I really don't do that during the regular episodes. But I got together with my friend Sarah yesterday, and I got to go to a restaurant that I'd never been to before. It would be the kind of place that you'd think I'd go often, but I'd never been there before, and it was Mellow Mushroom. It's like a pizza place, and it's a chain around here. Maybe it's in other states. I don't even know, but I do know it's a chain. And she and I got together for lunch yesterday. I've known her for about a year uh, through our trivia team. She's the next-door neighbor of uh, some people on my trivia team. And we got together yesterday, and we had not seen each other in a while. And she's talking about her work. I'm talking about uh, um, my work. We have you know, some things in common regarding how focused we can get on the work that we do and how we're homebodies and things like that. But the food was excellent. The pizza that I got was a meat pizza. It was very, very good. And I think that uh, Sarah liked her pizza as well. And it's really weird that I haven't been there before because some of the big tournaments uh, that have been held here in Pinellas County, sometimes they hold like a player's party at that place, and I've just never gone to them. Why? Because I'm a homebody. It's either I'm playing disc golf or I'm at home. There is no in-between. Um, so that was my first time there. Really good vibe there. Uh, enjoyed it, and I surely – uh, would like to go back there sometime soon. So if you have a uh, mellow mushroom in your area, I would recommend going. Hey, there's Charles. I think by now everybody knows Charles is my nephew. She is my uh, sister's son. Charles, thank you for tuning in uh, this evening. And uh, that place is dope. Um, Charles knows he's a, he is a foodie. Charles is. And so if he says that a place is dope, you should take that very seriously. So, um, yeah, first time. And luckily, uh, this Mellow Mushroom was not too far away. 
I picked it out because it's kind of a convenient was kind of a convenient location between um where I live and where Sarah lives. So it was good to see her and maybe uh we should get together more often. Uh it had been a year, if you can believe it. Just I just don't I just don't know where the time goes. So speaking of time, um one month until I'm fifty-two. It's crazy. It's absolutely 100% insane that I'm going to be 52 on August 1st. And, uh, but, you know, I really can't complain. I've gotten to this age uh, pretty easily. Uh, no time um, spent with, uh, you know, any time in the hospital. Uh, no broken bones, nothing like that. I've been very, very fortunate. Why that is, I don't know. I'm fairly active. I do have some allergies. I do, you know, struggle with asthma once in a while. Um, think I, you know, get these migraines, uh, once in a while. I probably need to start thinking about getting reading glasses, but I don't want to talk about that. And, um, but really getting to uh, 52, almost 52, I guess, it's been pretty easy. Pretty easy. I just I, – I'm very fortunate. Hello, uh, Paula. You chiming in there. I see you, Paula. What's going on, Paula? Good to see you. And um, that is insane. It seems like yesterday you turned 50. Uh, Twinkle, you're bringing me down here. Sheree, you're going to be uh, two years older than me for a couple of months. Well – yeah. Yeah, that's right, Cherie. You did hit the big 5-0, didn't you? I guess that you're going to be, yeah. Sorry to hear that, Cherie. <laughs> There's hope. Oh, wow. Our birthdays are close. Mine is July 26th. There's hope. You're another Leo. I, I, Leos are fantastic. I'm not much into astrology, but it's weird how I really always seem to get along really, really well with other Leos. It's just. Hello, Jill. Jill uh, is asking me a question that I will answer later. Jill, uh, please remind, uh, please answer, ask that later if you could. Uh, yeah, I gave in and got reading glasses. Yeah, it's just, it's. I don't think I can. Uh, it's going to happen uh, because I, I feel myself. I think that um, being at the computer and reading and everything. Although I can read and everything, it's obvious to me that I'm starting to get like an ache right in here, like a headache. And I don't get it like when I'm out disc golfing or driving or anything else. It's my eyes, I think, are beginning to strain a little bit. They're working overtime. Uh, I think that's probably uh, what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I, Twinkle, I knew that. I think I knew that you were a Leo. Excellent. Yes. Uh, there's something about being born in the same star, sun, and moon alignment. Okay, there you go, Sheree. All right. All right. Uh, Laura, hitting the big 3-0 uh, in March. Just booked my birthday trip to Vegas. You know, I was 30 when I lived in Vegas too, Laura. How convenient. Uh, what a coincidence. Okay. Uh, yeah, I turned uh, th 30. I was working at Star Trek The Experience, and all of my fellow castmates sang me happy birthday on the bridge of the Enterprise. That happened. I remember that like it was yesterday. I worked on my birthday that year, 
And they all sang happy birthday to me on the bridge of the Enterprise. Very, very uh, special moment. That was pretty cool. Um, Charlotte went to Monroeville. Uh, Charlotte, I can't even tell you how many times I've been to Monroeville. Thank you. Okay. Let's move on to some of the topics for tonight's discussion. Um, As you know, I always like to, to start with the poll that is posted in the discussion group on Facebook. If you are not yet a member of the discussion group, just go to Facebook, do a search, Unfound uh, Podcast Discussion Group. It has existed since about October or November of 2016. I can remember when there was only 60 people in there. There are now about uh, 8,400 or something like that. It's a crazy number. And I've been doing these polls for quite a while. I'd say maybe four years in that discussion group because I always like to get a feel for the audience, want to know what they're thinking after the episode comes out. And the question that I posted in there this week on Saturday morning, this previous Saturday morning, was uh, given that it is believed that James Tolliver killed multiple women, uh, Hester Chandler, Jackie Cooper, uh, Patty Tolliver's wife and Mary Watkins. Of course, we just we already covered Mary Watkins' disappearance. We just covered Jackie's. I hope to be able to cover Patty's disappearance and Hester's. Going to work on that. Got work to do on those. But I asked, do you believe that all of these women are in the same place? What is your perception about a serial killer? And is he more prone to dispose of if the bodies are missing? Uh, if he does dispose the bodies of somewhere, are they going to all end up in the same area or, or different areas? And it's not an easy question to answer because we can look at something like the Long Island killer. If you believe that the same person or persons killed those women that were found on Long Island a few years ago, then, of course, they're all in the same area. Whereas we might be able to think about for example, maybe a serial killer like the original Night Stalker where he didn't dispose of his bodies anywhere, but he killed people all over the place from Northern California to Southern California over several years. Of course, he eventually got caught, but his victims were not all in the same area. But for all of you in the discussion group asking you about James Tolliver and what you think he did with these women is uh, almost 100% of you um, – thought that, uh, yes, if these women are to be found uh, someday, that they will be all together. Uh, Think Tank was pretty much the same, although it was a little more mixed. But for the most part, it was, yes, the Think Tank that is held on Sunday evenings, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. If you'd like to be part of the discussion, this very, very private discussion that we have every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, It was a little more mixed, but still, I think the majority answer was yes, that these bodies will be found in the same place. And I I tend to to believe that their remains, if we are to believe that they are all deceased, that they will also be found very close proximity to each other, especially, especially once you get to Mary Watkins, which would have been the fourth in line. By that time, James Tolliver would have known that Hester wasn't found, Jackie wasn't found, his wife wasn't found. 
So I think it would make sense then. Well, I'm going to do the same thing with Mary. Now, when it came to Florence, of course, she was found because in the process of him killing her, he died himself. And, you know, would she have been found if he had not had died of a heart attack after shooting her? Hard to say. We, we, it seems like he was going to try to make it look like Florence committed suicide. But we just can't be sure. Really don't know if he had continued to live what he was going to do. He might have, of course, that money was on him when he died. He would have maybe put that money in his truck. Maybe he would have gone back to Florence's body and dug a hole and put her in it. We'll just never know now. But if you really wanted to press me on it, I think what I would have to say is that what makes sense is that these other women who are still missing probably are in that general area of where Florence was. There's a reason that the James Tolliver picked that spot to murder Florence. There's a reason. And only he would have known that. So is it worth going out there and looking? I think so, but we just have to remember – we're looking for remains that are over 40 years old, almost 50 years old now. And we have to start thinking about it's fairly um, you know, wild out there. And we can't discount the idea that even if he did bury these women out there, animals are going to, you know, over time things change. Animals are going to sniff those remains out. They could start digging. It's certainly uh, a possibility. So even if you put the bodies there, it does not mean the bodies will still be there or they will all be there. And maybe as a good example that we all know about is like Tom Brown's disappearance, only 30% of him was found, probably because an animal got to parts of him before they found him. Um, what was that would have been two years and a, and a couple months after he went missing. So. But the uh, the most popular answer was yes, that, that these women who are missing will be found close to each other, um, you know, if they are found. Of course, the opposite idea is that they are all spread out, and there is kind of a counter-argument to may, you know, maybe think that he would have chosen to do that too because, you know, you're, when you put – remain so close together from different crimes, then if one of them is found, then all of them are probably going to be found. And then you can, you know, maybe connect all of them to him. And he doesn't know that he was going to die in 1980. So it might make sense. You spread them out, less likely that they're going to be found because it's just one remain just, you know, there. In contrast, it's going to be a bigger area for four. But on the other hand, being that none of these remains have been found, it would tend to make you believe that uh, the reason nobody's run across these remains yet is because they are in a very concentrated area. So there's a couple different ways uh, to think about it. And I'm going to be talking about James Tolliver uh, a little bit more later in this discussion because some really interesting ideas have come to me uh, regarding him. And the whole idea of luring, because that's what he did with these women, lured them to their deaths. And it came upon it as I was writing the blog at Patreon, the private blog, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, that this kind of this idea came to me, and I want to pass it along to all of you. I think it's time. Um, let's see here. What is everybody saying? 
Um, hello, uh, Charlotte says, I have two daughters and two granddaughters. War were born in July. Charlotte, uh, Leo, we got some Leah's in here. When will the next James Tolliver Conman episode be? Haley, I can't really say. I've not spoken to anybody in Hester's or Patty's families yet. I know a person who kind of is in Patty Tolliver's family, but uh, she really doesn't know a lot about the disappearance. And so uh, she's been trying to find somebody who might, uh, in her family, who might be a lot more knowledgeable. And it's a little tough because uh, James and Patty didn't have any children. Not that a child would ever talk about a father being a serial killer anyway, I really can't say. But I really can't guess when part three is going to be. I'll continue to uh, work on it. I did send an email out to the address that I thought uh, Hester Chandler's uh, daughter is, what her email address is. But at this point, uh, nobody's gotten back to me. Maybe I need to give it another shot. So I will uh, I'll just try to work on it when I can. But certainly, I would love to cover all four of those disappearances to give all of you the best complete view of what James Tolliver did. Because... We can't rule out the idea that he might have killed other women too. It's just not been connected to him yet. And being that he was primarily um, motivated by money, we can't rule out he might have killed some men too. So there's that. Everything. What's going on, everything? It's been a while. Everything, right? Haven't seen you in a while. Good to see you. Hello, Marlene. Um, uh, Haley, thank you for the... uh, uh, kind words, and yes, they do have a Facebook group. That is true. And hello, Ashley. All right, let's allow me to answer a question that was actually posted uh, during the show last week, and I didn't get to it. I didn't notice it until after the live show was over. So, Laura, if you're out there, I'm going to answer your question from last week right now. I want to do it right now so I don't forget. Uh, Laura had asked me last week. She posted this in the discussion group. Was there ever a time a potential guest reached out to you and you decided not to interview them? You don't have to name the person. Like, for example, were they rude, being dishonest, etc.? Yes. Uh, it's, um, it's happened more than a few times. Usually the reasons people don't end up getting interviewed, uh, of, you know, doing an official interview where, in, in contrast to a place, as I've talked about many times, I get stood up, and that happens more than you'll ever know. Where I schedule an interview, the person says, yeah, let's do it. I'll call them. They don't pick up the phone. I never hear from them again. That has happened more than you would ever realize. But in situations where I think people want to be on the program, but they don't meet the criteria, um, it's also happened quite a few times. I mean – I've been doing this podcast for almost six years, so it's going to happen. I mean, you know, I mean, how many people have I talked to regarding Unfound by this time? I don't know, 500 people or something. So it's going to happen. Um, They usually fall into a few different categories. One, I don't think they're emotionally ready to do so. When I'm talking to somebody off the record, confidentially, None, nothing they say is going to be made public. It's just me collecting as much information as I get, and they can't even get through that without crying and, and 
then they certainly are not ready to do an official interview on the record that everybody's going to see. In addition, it then starts to me to feel like exploitation. I don't need an interview that bad. I want to help these people. I think they should tell, you know, you know, tell everything they know about the disappearance of their loved one. I give them all the chances in the world to say just about anything they want. Uh, during an interview, uh, outside, of course, slander and things like that. Um, but if people can't even get through a regular discussion, then I'm going to have to start making a decision for them. They may not realize they're not ready, but I realize they're not ready, once again, from my experience. Then there are people who they will tell you a really good story about what was going on. and. Um, then you start looking into some of these things today and it just doesn't add up. I'm not necessarily saying that they were lying, but what they're saying and what all of the official news stories and things are two different things. And then I start to wonder, you know, what's going on here. So those types of people are not going on because they very well may be telling the truth, but I can't tell or not. There are those people. There are other people who want to come on to to, uh, Unfound, and they only want to tell one story. The the example that I've given before is uh, a guy was working for the federal government. Was it with the Navy or the Air Force? I think it was the Navy. And he was an accountant. He allegedly had found uh, some uh, discrepancy that was millions of dollars. And then right after that, he went missing. And his family uh, continues to believe that the federal government killed him over that. And this was a while ago. This must have been back in 2017. My assistants know what the disappearance is. I'm not going to name uh, the disappearance publicly. But, you know, I'm not – I don't believe in those types of things. I'm not going to say it's never, ever happened in the history of the United States. But wouldn't be my first choice. But I was even able, you know, we can certainly look at that. But the fact is, this guy went missing. He was cheating on his wife. And the last person he was seen with was his wife's brother. But the family didn't want to talk about that. (laughs) So uh, then I think, oh, they have an agenda. They're out to do this. They're, They're trying to make their... Uh, missing loved one out to be some sort of martyr, and they think that they're going to bring the whole federal government down and everything, and I don't want to have anything to do with any of it. And they don't want to talk about what is probably a much more likely scenario. Those types of people are not going to be on Unfound either. And so, Laura, I hope that answers your question if you are watching or, or listening or whatever. Those are generally the the, the categories of people – who want to be on Unfound, but I cannot allow them to be on Unfound. Is it a large group? No. Um, but um, it's a large enough group that I can I can recall some of those disappearances. Off, right, right, they're right here. I, I remember what these people said. I remember why I rejected them. And, you know, I just told them, you know, I just don't think you're ready or I can't do that. Um, uh, As far as being, but asking like uh, being rude. 
Yeah, I've encountered some rude people. Absolutely. Um, in fact, I, I will tell you there is a very high-profile missing persons case. Won't name it. Where I talked to a family member, and uh, the discussion did not go uh, very. It's been a while. It's probably been 2018, something like that. I just only remember that. I remember living at my old place in Madeira Beach when we had this conversation. The person was rude. And I certainly wanted to cover that disappearance, but I don't know what was going on. That Maybe I just caught this person on the wrong day or something else was going on, but uh, it did not go well, even though this person had done interviews over the years. So uh as far as so as far as rude goes that is much um rarer than the than all those other things I just explained. Um everything says have been around Ed just been watching repeat live shows till now did you find out what happened about your disc Ed? Oh, the one that was found oh, that's that story you mean I uh, saw my post about that disc in Washington the state of Washington no I really I have not followed up on that, uh, everything. What surprises me is that it was a Sidewinder. And the Sidewinders um, is a very popular disc for me. That is not a disc that I would generally give away. I've gotten other discs from other tournaments that I've won or whatever that I've given away because I know I'm not going to throw them. But I usually don't give my Sidewinders away. So I'm perfectly open to the idea that uh, that my nephew might have had got one somehow because he lives in the Oregon slash Washington area now. My brother went up there to see his son, and my brother Brian and I were talking about it, but I'm still not sure that's what happened. It very well could be somebody picked uh, a disc up here in Florida. They're supposed to return them. They don't. Put it in their bag. They moved, went back to Washington, threw it, lost it, and it, it ended up up there. Certainly possible, but it was weird. Uh, fishing says, so are we live now? Yes, fishing, we are live now. You have to refresh your screen. Um, yeah, thank you, everything. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. I don't think I'll ever know how that happened. But um, yeah, I didn't even pick it up because I didn't know the number. My, my idea is I don't pick up the phone if it's a number I don't know. And so the store left me the message, and I heard it, and that's how I found out. I did not call them back. Well, I mean, what are they going to know? They're not going to know. You know, they're not going to know anyway. All right, so moving on. Um, thanks to Cherie, all of you who are now listening to the replay of this on the podcast feed, you got to hear the new music for this live show. I thought, well, you know, the regular podcast – has music and it's had uh, the music that I use now since the beginning of 2018. Before that, I was using copywritten music from Iron Maiden uh, for the intro and outro. And then I bought some music off of Pond 5, and that is the music you now hear um, for the podcast. But I thought, you know, it should have some sort of music to differentiate. And being that this live show is, of course, a, a much different feel than the Friday podcast is, uh, I sent uh, Sheree, gave Sheree some instructions 
And I said, okay, you know, can you go to Pond 5, you know, listen to some music, send me some samples. What do you think? Um, because really, I, you know, and the reason I gave Sheree this job is because, of course, she's, uh, as she knows, uh, she's a confidant. I ask her a lot of things about the podcast. Uh, for example, we got an Unfound Now coming out. I send her the link to it so she can watch it and, um, uh, you know, make sure that it's okay. She's kind of my proof proof viewer when it comes to the Unfound Now episodes. We've been doing that, I think, for a while now, Sheree. And so I thought, you know, you can really, you know, get into the deep weeds uh, listening to this music. So I thought, well, I'll just give it to Sheree to do. <laughs> Sorry, Sheree. But uh, she, as you can see here, uh, she really had fun with it. And I told myself that, um, you know, I would never uh, give somebody a job like that. And then they send me some samples and then me totally blow them off and just pick my own. And in fact, Sheree... Not every one of their picks that she gave me as choices were good, but at least three or four of them were very, very viable of maybe the eight or nine that she sent me. And then I settled on one. And uh, so if you want to hear it, you're going to have to listen. You know, you're going to have to listen to it in your podcast feed tomorrow. So, um, and, and if you don't know how that works, a pond five is a place where you can go buy, music that you can use uh and you can have a license to use it and that's what the music is for the regular episodes the and um, like i said i started off with copywritten music from iron maiden and that did run into some issues with youtube and that's why one of the jobs that natasha had while she was one of my assistants she went back and put the new music to all of the old episodes I mean, really impressive work that she did, and I cannot thank her enough. Not easy to do, but that's what she did. And so that's why all of those old episodes can now be played on uh, YouTube because there's no copyright issue now. So you buy that music, and you can just use it for whatever. And some of them are expensive. Some of them are cheap. And uh, as I told Cherie, uh, let's go for some cheap music. And that's what she found, and she did great. And so I'm excited about it. Uh, but you can go there if you have a show or something, or maybe you have to do a presentation that's going to end up on YouTube or somewhere where the you know all the copyright red lights will go off that they have these days. Um, you can go to Pond5, and you can buy some music that's been done well for like five bucks. It's worth it. So... Um, we're going to start doing that tomorrow and it's going to kind of be like the intro to the, to the podcast is that I'll, you know, um, you know, I'll read off some of the things that are going to be covered in this live show and I'll say, I'm Ed Denzel and this is the unfound live show, the musical play, it'll fade out and then it'll go right into how these videos start out, you know, every, every live show. So that's the plan. And of course, if you're listening to this in the podcast, feed, you already know that that happened. All right, let's move on to this. This is a very sad story, but it it really ties well into, I guess, a, a topic that I've been talking about for a few years now. Certainly maybe not since the beginning of Unfound because I know that when Unfound started in 2016, I didn't even realize this maybe was a thing. They ever could be connected to disappearance. I knew that this could happen, but I didn't know that 
you know, we could ever really put disappearances in this together. And that's the issue of head injuries. You've heard me talk about this once in a while before, but this topic came into more focus for me uh, very recently. All of you know my friend Shay. She and I have known each other for over 20 years. We worked at Star Trek together. Um, she's a very special person to me. You know that she came down to see me. Oh, man, it's going to be three years ago in September. Hard to believe. But And I've not had a chance to talk to her about it one-on-one uh, -on -one yet. But I found out through a mutual friend of ours that uh, a very dear friend of Shay's died due to a head injury. And I don't know exactly what happened, but this woman who is in her 50s, she had hit her head doing something and thought she was fine. And later that day, uh, that night, she went to bed. She woke up in the middle of the night. She, she, I think, was she married? She lived with somebody, but whoever she was sleeping with, um, not that way. You know what I mean? Um, she woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't breathe. 911 was called and she died. Several hours after this injury occurred. And I think, you know, I'm all about education. I'm all about teaching people about disappearances. I'm all about kind of describing, um, diagramming all the different ways that people could go missing. And the thing is, I think a lot of people understand most of the ways that people can go missing. Of course, foul play, uh, drinking and driving, driving into a lake. You know, there's all, you know, suicide and things. Head injuries is probably not one that the general public would ever anticipate. But I think if we start going back through some of Unfound's disappearances, I don't know how many there were, but it's certainly, you know, uh, a topic that we always need to consider in certain disappearances especially when people are alone, especially. And so this, as I've said, and of course, as you know, if you've been listening to Unfound long enough, you know that I call this the Natasha Richardson effect. And because she was a very well-known actress, uh, and she, if people don't realize it, she and Liam Neeson, who is, of course, now very, very known after the Taken movies, which happened after she died, but they were a married couple at the time, and she was skiing up in Montreal in Canada, and she had a skiing accident, hit her head. Nobody thought it was any big deal. She was fine. Oh, I feel fine. And then several hours later, uh, she collapsed, went into a coma, and died. That's why I call it the Natasha Richardson effect. This is different than like Sonny Bono, who was also skiing, hit a tree, and died instantly different than that obviously still caused probably by a head injury but it's different these what i'm talking about is a very delayed reaction and one of the ways you can tell that the public fully doesn't appreciate how dangerous this can be is look at the death of bob saget there are all sorts of conspiracy theories out there regarding what happened and whereas of course myself knowing about this already it's obvious to me that Bob Saget at some point hit his head somewhere. 
and, it, and they're looking for blood here, blood there. There's not going to be any blood. And it doesn't even have to be that hard of a hit. It just has to be at the right angle. And, and you know, is it a, is it, do you hit something that's pointed or, or, or blunt? Uh, it just depends. And see, I understand that's that's why I don't fall for like that kind of conspiracy theory. It's totally believable that Bob Saget hit his head hours before he died. You know, they're looking, well, he, you know, he did the show. We have to start looking at, he could have hit his show before he did. He could have hit his head even before the show happened. Got through the show, went up to his room and died. Not out of the question at all. Let me just uh, check something. Oh, okay. Thank you, Sheree. Um, I got it. And uh, so we just have to keep that in mind. It's very sad for Shay. And and Shay and I have a lot of mutual friends. uh, And I know some of her friends. This is not one who I knew, but I know they're very close. And I've not had a chance to talk to Shay. Uh, I know that she's uh, devastated. I think this happened with maybe within the last week or 10 days. And it just kind of brings that all back into focus. That when we have a certain type of situation, especially if the person is alone, especially if they're working or working out or something, and it doesn't, you know, we get maybe too focused on that timeline. You know, we're looking at, we're so used to looking at those precise seconds that a person went missing or, you know, disappeared. Those precise seconds. What, whereas really maybe sometimes, depending on the facts, maybe we need to look back hours before that. What was that person doing hours before he or she disappeared? Is it possible that he or she did hit? their head and it finally caught up to him at this point and then they went missing how many of unfound's disappearances are like that i'm not sure but i bet there are at least a couple i have to go back and check so just kind of brings it into focus and i for all of you who are now listening you're finding this live show uh, for the first uh time through the podcast feed and this is not something i've really talked about in the regular episodes, maybe once or twice. Um, I want all of you who are new to the live show, the audio form of this live show, to know that the Natasha Richardson effect is something that's on my mind quite a bit when looking at disappearances. And thank you all uh, offering condolences. That's awful. Yes, very sad. So sad. I'm so sorry. Thank you to all of you. Um, I'm not sure we're going to talk to Shay about this, if she'll even want to talk about it. So we'll just have, I just don't know. Sheree says, my uncle had a head injury at 54, never once been diagnosed with any illness. Two weeks later, he committed suicide. Wow. Paula, same thing happened to my uncle. His girlfriend fell asleep on his couch, never woke up. I think she had been hiking and took a fall. It wasn't a terrible fall either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So let's keep our minds on that as we continue to analyze disappearances um next topic kind of maybe going to a a lighter topic i told you a few weeks ago that i 
was um, interviewed, although it wasn't like an audio interview. Uh, uh, this place called Shout Out Arizona contacted me. Uh, somehow they found out about me and asked if I would do an interview for their their publication, their online publication. And it's like a written, they have these questions and you just type out the answers to them and that's the interview. Well, that came out, was it yesterday or today? And I posted it in the group. I posted it on the page. I posted it on Twitter. It's now on the website, theunfoundpodcast.com. So I think you all should check it out. Some of it uh, are things that I've talked about before. But uh, I talked about my social life a little bit in that interview because that was one of the questions. And then I got to give a shout out to, of course, to the guests, uh, to my assistants, and then to all of you, the audience, the listeners, the viewers, the readers, uh, thanking all of you. And as I state in that interview, I realized that uh, you have high expectations for Unfound. And... um, you know, I, I like that. I, I think that the reason that the way I do the podcast is the reason you have high expectations. So it's always on my mind every week that there are certain expectations, certain standards that I have to meet um, because I know you respect the podcast because of that. And I never want any of you to think that, uh, you know, I'm taking any of that lightly, that respect that you give myself and the guests, and just the podcast as a whole. Uh, I never want you to think that I'm blowing any of that off. So you can find that if you, uh, if you once again, go to the once one of the places I just mentioned, or if you just want to Google uh, Shout Out Arizona, you will find the website, and you'll see a picture of me. If you're wondering where that picture comes from, uh, that was a selfie I took at the KISS concert last October. So that was taken right around the time that I was uh, doing – did my first speaking engagement up there in Louisiana. That was like right before I went out to Colorado uh, to be in the Steve Pankey trial. That was right around that time when that picture selfie was taken. It was taken over at the amphitheater by the Hard Rock uh, Hotel on the other side of Tampa at the KISS concert. God, I thought it was a great shot, great picture. And I'm glad they used it. Uh, Charlotte says, remember the man who took his foster son who disappeared, who'd been acting really strange? You mean uh, Wacker Hagen? Is that who you're thinking about, Charlotte Wacker Hagen? From a few months ago? Charlotte took his foster out. Oh, oh, I know you mean David Schrader, Charlotte. David Schrader, yes, David Schrader, yes. Uh, from Wisconsin, We, I would, that was... Yep, that's uh in my opinion that is a big important disappearance in Unfound's existence for sure. David Schrader, yeah. Rock on Charles. Thank you for the uh the me- heavy metal signs Charles, thank you. Allow me to now answer another question that came from the audience before the show got started tonight. Laura again same Laura's last, uh, the first question, but once again, the first question actually was from last week. Laura asked me, how will Jody Husentrude's case get solved? Now, I think the reason she's asking me this is because uh, we just passed, or maybe it's today, the 27th anniversary of her disappearance from Mason City, Iowa. 
and Caroline Lowe and I had talked this uh, a few days ago. She was headed down there. There was going to be some sort of ceremony or something going on, and she was heading to that. And Caroline does not live in Iowa. She had to make travel arrangements to be there. Uh, but Laura asked me, given that it's been that long and Jody's is a well-known disappearance, how will Jody's case get solved? Well, um, as you know, too many of these disappearances are solved by luck. Somebody out in the woods stumbles across the bone that they don't know if it's human or not. Take it to authorities. It gets checked for DNA. Hey, it's a human. It's a human bone. It's a femur. It's this. It's that. And then eventually, maybe they match it up with DNA that's in a database. We know how many times that happens. However, got to tell you that I don't think that that is going to happen in Jody's case because it's clear to me that her disappearance was very well planned. I think most of the time when we are talking about um, disappearances that where there's certainly foul play, we're most likely to believe most of the time I think that these are crimes of the moment, crimes of passion, things that go too far. Uh, Like uh, the man said type of disappearance, something like that. Whereas luring disappearances like James Tolliver with Mary Watkins, Jackie Cooper, and the other women, those were certainly planned out. But those, I think, are in the minority, my perception. And But with Jody's, hers was certainly planned out. So my idea is that somebody planned to make her disappear. Somebody planned to kill her, which means then this person had a plan on where he, or maybe it was more than one, they were going to put her. And if that is the situation then it's not going to be by luck somebody stumbling across uh, remains in the woods. Then we have to start thinking that uh, was she put on somebody's personal property where these this person would know that nobody else can go with you know without a warrant. We have to start thinking, uh, did she get you know? And I hate to be morbid about this, but this is what we do here. Um, was she put in somebody's basement underneath? Uh, a concrete slab or something. Once again, if this was planned, then this person could have been thinking about this for months. And given the situation, what we understand about her disappearance is that somebody waited an hour longer than they should have because she was late that morning. This also tends to cause me to believe that it was planned. Somebody had a plan that they had to get it that, that, that done that day or else. So they were willing to wait as long as it took. Now the question is, what happens if she would have never gone in that day? What if she actually would have, uh, you know, just called in sick or something? Would that person have come back the next day? I don't know. Would the person have gone up to her uh, door and locked and knocked? And, you know, and when she answered the door or something with this person who attacked her, we'll just never know. But given that it was planned, then I don't think it's going to necessarily be luck somebody stumbling upon something. This has much more of the feel of somebody buying a house and something seems weird about it. 
you know, they have something, something that just, you know, looking at the architecture, going out into the yard or something, something like that. Or some sort of deathbed confession, because you have to remember, I'm looking at it, my point of view, what I think happened. And that certainly shades things. Um, you know, I've convinced myself that this was somebody who became infatuated with her because of her being on TV. I don't believe that John Van Sice did it. Um, I continue to believe it was somebody that Jody knew that person would have just gone up to her door. We know that didn't happen. So it was somebody who didn't know her that well or at all and became infatuated with her, as does happen when you're on TV all the time or now these days when you're all the, on the internet all the time. I'm very fortunate that that's not happened to me, but I am a guy. So, it, you know, women, I think, have a lot more to worry about um, when it comes to that. And it doesn't matter if you're straight, gay, or, or, or whatever. Uh, I just think just in general that women have to worry much more about stalkers than men do. So, um, and, and I'm inclined to believe, although I really don't know any other female true crime podcasters that well, uh, I can almost guarantee you that they have – they get a lot more creepier emails and messages and things regarding them personally than I ever will. That's just that's just the way the world is. So that's why I think it was somebody who was infatuated, wanted, wanted – he wanted to make her his, to possess her, uh, and uh, this is what happened. Um, let's see, uh, yes, he was drinking twinkle. Remember David wasn't controlling his diabetes either. Yes, that's true. David Schrader twinkle. That's right. Kathy Charlotte yesterday. Did he possibly have a head injury too? Might have Charlotte. If he was drinking and stumbling around, maybe David Schrader did certainly possible. Certainly. Um, Kathy twinkle. Yes. Uh, all going back and forth about David Schrader. Like, like I can, can continue to say, very important disappearance in Unfound's existence because this idea of walking off. Guy, married, children, personality changes like that, and within a, you know 12 hours or whatever it was, he's just walking away from the house. These things happen. So, Laura, that's my answer to that question. I think it's going to take more than luck. I think it's going to take um, – Somebody noticing something or a deathbed confession or somebody, you know, coming forward after somebody passes away or something like that. Uh, you know, and like I said, I'm not convinced John Van Sice and some of these other people have been mentioned as at least publicly as um, good suspects. I'm not inclined to believe any of them did it. So there you go. Going back to some other topics for Unfound, and then I want to get into some articles. Um, had a, uh, a talk this morning with a guy from Romania. And this has to do with a drink company that uh, will be advertising on the podcast soon. And this is something separate from the agreement, the contract I have with Spotify, which is something I'm totally allowed to do. This company had approached me a couple months ago 
But the first person who approached me uh, did not impress me too much. Uh, she was very flaky, almost a little smart mouth about things, and I would ask questions, and she wouldn't have answered to it. So I, you know, and they had sent me some of the product, and I liked it. And I was like, yeah, I'd love for you to advertise on the program, but this this person who contacted me who's representing your con, you know, is just not good. And so I sent them like this long, um, I sent this long uh, email to them, you know, explaining everything that happened. Well, finally, somebody else got in t- contact with me, apologized. And so we had a video Zoom call today from here in Clearwater Beach, the whole way to Romania. That was fun. And so we worked something out and you can anticipate within the next few weeks hearing that and which I will actually be um, doing the pitch myself. I've tried the product. I like it. I actually have a video of me drinking it for the first time that I will make public when this all happens. So you can see it for yourself on this YouTube channel. So that's uh, something that will be happening. Uh, and, uh, you know, just, you just never know when these things, you know, kinds of things uh, are going to happen where you just get an email. Yeah, we'd like to advertise you on, advertise on your podcast. We're going to send you some product. We try it out. You know, um, we hope you like it. And if you like it, we'd love to pay you a small fee to uh, advertise. And I like it. I won't have to lie about it. Uh, it's one of those things. If something's going to be advertised in which I'm actually pitching it or something like that, then I better believe in it. I better like it or I'm not I'm not going to do it. Whereas like the ad markers that I put in for Spotify really don't have a lot of control about what those companies and products are, or services are going to be. Whereas, so it's not me saying anything. And so that's different. So if I'm going to read something or I'm going to have to write up my own copy for it, then it's going to have to be something that I like. And I do like that. So we will find somewhere to squeeze that into these two hour long uh, episodes somewhere uh, in, in a few weeks. And what is the company? I'll let you know when, you know, when this is going to get started, then you'll know, and you'll get to watch the video of me drinking it for the first time. Uh, my assistants have already uh, seen it uh, because this was way back in, I don't know, middle or beginning of May when I did that, did that video. And I was th- waiting for things hap- to happen, but this person I was dealing with was just not good. Just, just not good at all. Kind of reminded me on how, how I used to sell cars 25 years ago. That's why I don't sell cars anymore. Okay. Um, Let's move on to uh, a few items here. Uh, We got about a little less than an hour to go, and I want to cover some national news items that are certainly uh, certainly caught my attention. I want to talk about the murder of this Microsoft executive, Jared Bridegan. This happened in Florida over on the Atlantic side uh, by Jacksonville. I'm going to read you an article, and it's – going to give you some of my impressions. The Florida ex-wife of a slain Microsoft executive, Jared Bridegan, was shattered by her former husband's murder, she told a local TV station in an exclusive interview. I fell to the floor because I was devastated. Shanna Gardner-Fernandez, her eyes red and tearful, 
told Action News Jacksonville of learning about Bridegan's February 16th, so this year, four months ago, slang during the 32-second teaser for the segment. The ex-wife, who is from a prominent, wealthy Mormon family, said she has since been harassed and blamed for the murder. Bridegan, 33 years old, was gunned down in front of his two-year-old daughter, Bexley, Minutes after he dropped off the twins, he shares with Gardner Fernandez at her home in Jacksonville Beach. The father of four was on a wooded stretch of Sanctuary Boulevard when he stopped his car at about 7.30 p.m. By that time, it would have been dark, likely to remove a tire that had blocked his way and was executed. As his toddler daughter watched from her car seat, according to Jacksonville Police, Jacksonville Beach Police. Gardner Fernandez, 35, who had been engaged in near in a near constant lit, in near constant litigation over custody of their twins since their 2015 split, remains a suspect in his murder. A law enforcement source told Fox News Digital, Bridegan remarried Kirsten Bridegan in 2017, and the two share Bexley and a one-year-old London. What these names? London Bexley. It's messy. I wasn't invited to the funeral, Gardner Fernandez told the station there's so much more to that story. The twins also did not attend their father's funeral. Gardner Fernandez's mother, Shelly Gardner, wrote in a since-deleted blog post that it would have been detrimental to the twins' mental health to go without their mom. And the clip, uh, let's see. Gardner Fernandez, whose family founded Stampin' Up!, a papercraft business that generates more than $100 million a year in revenue. Hello has not made any public efforts to help her ex to find her ex-husband's killer. There is a $55,000 reward in the case, most of which came from private donations. Gardner Fernandez and her family haven't contributed a penny to the reward, according to a source familiar with the fund. During the acrimonious divorce, while Gardner Fernandez was still living under the same roof as Bridegan, she allegedly asked a staffer at a Jacksonville tattoo shop if you knew anyone who could help her shut up her then husband. She had been talking to us about her divorce and she told us her life could just be better if he could just shut up. And he asked if we knew anybody that could shut him up, recalled the employee who was interviewed by detectives. Gardner Fernandez, once a devout member of the Church of Latter-day Saints, had obtained several services from the shop. And there's a part in here I can't read because it's not PG friendly. Police have not publicly named a suspect in Bridegan's murder. Gardner Fernandez and her husband, Mario Fernandez, recently retained high-powered criminal defense lawyer Henry Coxie III. He didn't immediately return a request for comment. Sergeant Tanya Tater of the Jacksonville Police Department, which is leading the investigation, declined to comment. All right, so right away, uh, let's see what uh, uh, Marlene says. Can't wait to see this drink. Thank you. Um, Jill says, sounds like Lori Volo style. And I'm going to answer your question, Jill. Thank you for typing it again. Thank you uh, for uh, following my instructions. I will get to your question. Thank you. In fact, I will answer it right after we finish talking about this article. The first thing that hits me regarding um this this murder is this is very similar to a murder that happened in 2014 in here in Florida and it's one that I followed very intently when it happened but it was over in Tallahassee and that was the d- murder of Dan Markell 
and we and I talked about this maybe a month or two ago, how there's a trial going on. A lot of people have been convicted of, of a conspiracy to murder him. If you will remember, he had already been divorced, but they were having a custody issue. His ex-wife wanted to take their children back down to the Miami area where her family lived. He wouldn't let her leave because, of course, that would mean the kids were way down there. And so they were fighting over this. And then all one, uh, all of a sudden one day, after he dropped his kids off for school, he goes back to his house. He pulls in. He's on the phone with somebody. And he says to the person, hey, there's uh, somebody in my driveway. He pulls in. The garage door goes up. He pulls in. And before he can even get out of a car, somebody comes up and shoots him through the window. They didn't even let him open the door yet. They shot him through the window and killed him. And there was video, there was this Prius that was seen speeding away from the scene. What turned out that the people were hired by Dan's ex-wife's brother. They're still not sure if the ex-wife knew about this. Sheree and I have had a very good conversation uh, privately about all of this, about whether this ex-wife knew or not. But um, he was murdered over a custody issue. And now all of these people at least most of the people seemingly have gone to jail. And it was someone in his his ex-wife's family that started all of this. This is the first story of, you know, recent history that comes to mind. That's kind of sounds like uh, the murder of this young man, uh, Jared uh, Bridegan, B-R-I-D-E-G-A-N, if you want to look that up. But it also reminds me of a police officer who was gunned down in 2013 in Bardstown, Kentucky. And his name was Jason Ellis. He had just dropped off a prisoner at a jail somewhere, and he was essentially driving home. He wasn't in a squad car, so there was no dash cam or anything. But he was, the way I understand, he was on a highway, took an exit. As he was taking this exit, there was a limb on the road. He pulls over to pull this limb, you know, push it off the side of the road. or And while he was doing this, somebody shot him dead. And this murder is still unsolved. And it's clear that uh, I get the idea that it wasn't something that was right up close. It sounds like maybe with this, it was a, um, you know, a shot from far away. So probably with a rifle with a scope on it. But we have to remember this was at night that this happened, that this this uh, cop got killed. And of course, the big issue with, you know, with Jason's and uh, with Jared's is how could somebody have known, you know, I think, I, I guess what I'm saying is with the police officers, there's no way somebody could have known that a police officer would be the first person who would come upon that limb. And so with that murder, I'm inclined to believe it was just some kook who just wanted to kill somebody. And they'll put the limb across the road, believing that somebody will come along and eventually, you know, they won't be able to pass. The person will pull over the side of the road, whoever it was, an accountant, an engineer, a teacher, a police officer, whoever. And when that person gets out of the car, I'm just going to shoot whoever it is. That's the way it strikes me once again because there was no way that the shooter could have known that the first person would have been a police officer, whether it was Jason Ellis or anybody else. So you have to think about that when it comes to Jared Bridegan's disappearance. Who could have known 
that he would actually, somebody would think that, okay, I, I want to kill Jared Brad again. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this tire out in the middle of the road. And then he is going to get out of that car to move that tire. And then I'm going to shoot him. Taking a lot of chances. What if Jared doesn't get out of his car? What if somebody else gets out of the car first and moves it? You're going to shoot that person too? So I just, I'm not sure. I, I know it seems maybe at first glance that this seems like uh, it was set up so Jared would be killed because he was dropping off his twins and it was in her neighborhood and all of that. But on the other hand, I would say there's no way if this was some setup that the person could ever have predicted that Jared would actually get out of the car to move the tire. Maybe, you know, I don't know how many people would, especially at night, you know, um, You know, I I try to put myself in that situation. I'm driving along, and it it seems like this might have been out in the country a little bit. Um, I'm driving along, and there's a tire in the middle of the road. I guess the right thing to do is to move the tire. But, you know, I'm I'm a cynical, maybe a little paranoid guy anyway. I'd be thinking this tire's right just happened to end right up here in the middle of the road, and nobody noticed it. I might be, I might, you know, might be a little suspicious of that. So I'm not sure that this was a setup to kill Jared at all because I just think there are too many variables in the planning of this to ever guarantee that, uh, that he would be the one who would actually move this tire, thus setting, setting himself up to be shot. Now, if I were to find out maybe if his current wife is going to say, you know what? Somebody tried to do this to Jared a couple weeks before he went missing, and somebody tried to do that to Jared, or he ran into something weird in a parking lot somewhere. Now, if there are stories like that, then my opinion's going to change. But just based on the facts in this story alone, which I, I think this story is fairly complete, um, you know, I'm not my knee-jerk reaction is not that this was a setup to kill him. It might have just been somebody who just wanted to kill anybody, just like it seems uh the setup was for killing Jason Ellis. It could have been anybody who came upon it, you know, however old he was, I think maybe he was in his 30s. It could have been a 17-year-old girl, an 82-80-year-old man. It was just unfortunate that you know anybody came along to do that. So I guess what I'm saying is that for all of you out there driving around, if you see something in the middle of the road, maybe you just want to call 911 and call it in and uh, leave it at that. And even then, though, it it still may be a police officer shows up and gets shot, as maybe would have happened if, if some regular person came upon that limb and maybe got around it and called it in. Maybe somebody ends up getting shot anyway. So if you hadn't heard about that, you can look it up once again. Uh, the murder of Jared Bradig- Brightigan, B-R-I-D-E-G-A-N, and that happened back in February. So as I promised, uh, Charlotte, that case was terrible. Charlotte, yes, Jason's case was so sad, and Bardstown has a huge problem with murders. I didn't know that, Charlotte. Everything, Yeah, the tree was deliberately put on the road. Yeah, Jason Ellis, that's true. Charlotte, Crystal Rogers' case was from there too, and they have never found her yet. 
I've heard her name, Charlotte Crystal Rogers. Uh, Jill, I'm going to answer your question right now. Thank you for being patient with me. And then we will go on to a couple other articles, um, which I will read some copy. I think I have another question to answer too. Jill asked me, has a person you were going to interview canceled due to finding remains or the person was found? Yes. And in fact, I can tell you what, in fact, I think when it happened, um, I actually mentioned it in a live show. And if you don't remember, Jill, totally fine. Let me go down. And I always have my list of people I talk to right here. What disappearance was that? Um, Let me see here. Hold on, please. I know this is horrible for all the people listening because they can't see what I'm doing here. Um, Man, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Um, Carol, uh, for one, Jill, uh, Carol, Karen Nichols is kind of in that situation. Uh, I had talked to her mother a couple times, and in fact, Cherie had done some work on her own. And I was always holding out hope that we might get Kara's mother on sometime. Her mother maybe falls into one of those categories I was talking about earlier in this uh, show. I got along with her just fine, but, but of course, uh, Kara was found. Uh, it was a murder. Somebody is in custody and that happened within the past, what, six months, eight months. And so I guess, uh, her murder, of course, disappearance at the time could be included in there. And, um, Man, there is another one that I don't see here. I Oh, there it is. Um, William Polk. That got solved. That was a disappearance that got solved uh, before we could solve it. And there, But there's one more. One more here. Um, I can't. I don't see it, and I don't want to leave everybody hangling. Uh, Richard's. Sheree says, Janelle Matthews almost happened that way. Um, I guess, do, you, know, uh, you know, I never did talk to anybody in Janelle's family. I guess it's possible that maybe I would have gotten around to covering it. But, um, you know, the only reason we ended up, you know, get, doing the coverage that we did is because her remains were found. But there was one other one. I just can't find it here, and I don't. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on it. But Jill, those are at least a couple examples. So it does happen. Very rare. Very very rare. And if Jill, if I can find uh, the other one uh, after the show is over, uh, I will send you that one. But it was um, it was one where remains had been found, but they hadn't been identified yet. And I had talked to the missing person's daughter, I think. And in the process of maybe putting everything together, the, the DNA results came back and it was the missing person. I, that's the way I remember it. Um, but at least two. Sure, um, and almost surely three of that, that's happened 
about three times, Joe. Charlotte, also there were some corrupt police in Bardstown, and there was some speculation that Jason had learned that there was corruption in the police department. He was getting ready to turn them in. Sounds like uh, small town rumors or big town rumors to me, Charlotte. I don't know if I'm supposed to believe that or not, but okay. Uh, but maybe, and some people thought he was murdered because that, I don't know, Charlotte. Uh, you hear a lot of stories like that, but it seems like none of them ever come true. But maybe. Let's move on to this. This is a story, a kind of a more light beat off, lighthearted offbeat story, but I do want to comment on it. This comes from Amarillo, Texas, a town I've been through a few times and a city I visited three years ago. I can't believe it's been three years now. But anyway, around 1.25 a.m. on May 21st, security cameras inside a perimeter fence at the Amarillo Zoo in Texas captured a strange image outside the zoo. Maybe some of you have seen this picture. Now the city of Amarillo is seeking the public's input to help solve the mystery. Was it a person with a strange hat who likes to walk at night? A large coyote on its hind legs, a chupacabra. For now, the strange visitor is a, an unidentified Amarillo object, according to a news release. Definitely chupacabra. Yep, someone commented on the city of Amarillo's uh, Facebook page. This is literally Sonic the Hedgehog, another wrote. A chupacabra is a folklore creature said to have lived in Latin America that allegedly attacked animals. In the spirit of fun, if not curiosity, the city of Amarillo is letting the public offer ideas on the identity of this unidentified Amarillo object seen in the photo. Video footage is not available. We just want the, to let the Amarillo community have some fun with this, said City of Amarillo Director of Parks and Recreation, Michael Kashuba. It is important to note that this entity was outside the Amarillo Zoo, there were no signs of attempted entry into the zoo. No animals or individuals were harmed. There were no signs of criminal activity or vandalism, according to the city. It is definitely a strange and interesting image. Maybe Amarillo can help solve the mystery of our unidentified Amarillo object. And here's what I have to say about that. Total publicity stunt. That's my opinion. Uh, Sharice says, I remember another one, but can't think of it now. Oh, something like Kara Nichols. Yeah, I will have to, I will have to check the list. Uh, Shree, and I will surely let as many people know, uh, that other disappearance I was thinking of, but regarding this Amarillo situation, it's telling that they have video of this animal, but they don't release the video. All they release is a picture. And that always, uh, you know me, uh, when it comes to video for disappearances, I want all the video. Don't just show us a snapshot. That's not enough. There are a lot of things about a way a person walks, their head turning side to side, their, the way their arms swinging, their gait. There's a lot you can tell from a video. It doesn't always just have to be words. So when they just offer a picture, here is John Smith on video the day he disappeared. Well, just so the video. And I feel the same way about this, uh, this Amarillo Zoo thing. Uh, my guess is if they were to release actually the video of it, of course, then you would see the gate of this animal or whatever, you know, whatever is going on here. And you'd be able to tell that it was a person. It's also telling to me 
that this happened in May, which means right when school is letting out and they want people to go to the zoo this summer. And we have to remember it's been COVID and maybe the zoo numbers, the attendance numbers have been down and they want to make sure that everybody goes to the zoo this summer. What better way to get people to the zoo is to say that, hey, we got this creepy thing roaming around the zoo. What also should be, uh, you know, is a tip off is that they don't seem that worried about it. Okay, so they have all these animals in this zoo and they got some unidentified thing roaming around the outside of the zoo and nobody seems worried about it. That seems a little odd to me. (laughs) You know, they'd say, well, we want, uh, we want the Amarillo community to have fun with this. Well, maybe, maybe it shouldn't be fun. <laughs> maybe this is, uh, you know, not, um, you know, I don't believe in chupacabras and things, but you know, you got these animals that you're trying to take care of. Uh, you know, you're raising them, you're feeding them. They're loved by their trainers. They're loved by the the public, and then you got strange, some strange thing right on the other side of the fence from them. And you're saying, we want the Amarillo community to have fun with this. Uh, maybe, you know, if this was something serious and real, they wouldn't be acting this way. The people would not be acting this way. The, the people from the city would not be acting this way. The people at the zoo would not be acting this way. I'm inclined to believe this was some sort of publicity stunt to get free advertising for the Amarillo Zoo. Um, let the Leanne says exactly, Ed. Texas tall tale publicity stunt for sure looks pretty fake too. Yeah, uh, like I said, I don't, I didn't pull up a picture to show all of you on my phone or anything, but it's out there. Just do Amarillo Zoo creature, and you'll see a thousand pictures of it. That they don't show a video of it, even though they have video should also be a huge tell that it's not quite what they're saying. And, you know, if somebody watches it, they'll be able to tell that, you know, it's just nothing. Uh, Cherie says, I heard Texas OAG Rachel Neening mentioned today in a podcast about Baby Holland. I was reminded of the secret recording meeting with law enforcement Tom Brown family. Yeah, we don't need to get into that again, Cherie, but thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, Rachel Keating. That uh, that probably that's what probably she'll always be remembered before from now on. Uh, Sheree, probably the Tom Brown case may be the biggest thing she ever works on. So that's the Amarillo story, and also I have to remind. Uh, it kind of reminded me of a movie that I like very much, which is Night at the Museum. The first one, the other ones are the sequels are terrible, but the first one is so good. Ben Stiller. Uh, Robin Williams. I just think that's a spectacular, fun movie. You can learn it's funny, and you can learn things about history and everything. Just great story. Well, remember at the end what that was. The 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 museum played it all up as being a publicity stunt with the the dinosaur tracks, the cavemen being seen out in public, and all that. They played it up as a publicity stunt. That's also what hit me uh, regarding this. So there's that story. Um, what else do I need to talk about? Of course, we're getting toward the end of the month. And that means the newsletter will be coming out before the next live show next Monday. In fact, uh, the, the newsletter uh, will come out this Friday, just when the next episode does. 
And uh, I haven't started writing it yet, but you know I'll get it done. And uh, so I have some writing to do later this week. It's just the, the weeks, the months go by so fast. I just don't know where they're going. But if you are on the list, then you will get it in your email on Friday. If you are not on the list, please contact me at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. What do I put in the newsletter? Kind of a lot of – sometimes I'm up on my soapbox. Sometimes I'm uh, you know, giving you kind of behind-the-scenes stuff going on at the podcast. I do some theorizing about things. If there's something that I really feel motivated to talk about, um, you know, well-known disappearance that maybe we'll never cover something like that. You just never know what's going to make it into the newsletter. It's kind of my, very much a a feel type of thing. But you can look for it probably Friday night, not Friday morning. But uh, I'll probably write a thousand words on Wednesday, thousand words on Thursday, thousand words on Friday, and it'll get out there Friday night sometime. If everything goes right. So be looking for that. Once again, if you're not on the list, please join us on the email list at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. I have uh, one more question to answer, and then we'll go into the last article I want to read, and then we'll move on to this Friday's disappearance. Jasmine, I think Jasmine's in here. Jasmine says, if you could make a missing person checklist, what would that have? Would you give this list to your guests for the podcast? Well, Jasmine, first of all, the guests, uh, you know, when I talk to them privately, I, you know, I give them a lot of pointers. Of course, it depends on the disappearance. It depends on what happened. It depends on how old the disappearance is. There's so many variables that it's really hard to have a set list that is good for every guest. You have to remember that. So it's really anything that I'm going to say that to that particular family member is particular to their disappearance. Now, it may what I tell them might be similar to somebody else, um, but you know there is no like boilerplate list for disappearances that that have already happened, and they are what we would call older disappearances, which is what we what we cover on Unfound. Now, as far as a checklist for just families in general, I'm going to say the same thing that I've said many times because I've gotten this. Ed, you need to write a book or do something, a pamphlet, uh, an instructional series on what people should do if they ever have a disappearance happen in their family. And... Frankly, I, I have enough work to do as it is. Oh, Twinkle's leaving us. Oh, Twinkle, you're leaving like a half hour early. Wow. Okay, Twinkle. Well, I'll catch up with you later, Twinkle. It was good talking to you earlier today, by the way. But as I've stated many times, doing something like that, you know, writing kind of, well, here's what you do if you ever, dis- have, a, ever have a disappearance in your family. It's kind of like telling people to not smoke. Or to not go out in the sun, or to not eat sugar and things like that. You can do that, but nobody's listening. People continue to go out in the sun, even though they 
they know there's a good possibility that they'll get skin cancer. Why? Because they want to go out in the sun. They don't think that that's going to happen to them. People drink, you know, drink uh, or eat a lot of sugar or whatever topic you pick. People who start smoking, they know about lung cancer. They don't care. And they don't start caring about uh, lung cancer until they're diagnosed with it. People don't care about skin cancer until they're diagnosed with it. Very, very, very few people um, take those precautions beforehand. It's just, you got a life to live. So when it comes to disappearances, it's kind of the same thing. Every guest, I'm not saying this comes up with every person I've ever talked to friend, founder, a family member. That's certainly not true. But it's been said enough that I have to believe this is an overarching thought for all guests who have ever been on the program. The thought is, I never thought this would happen to me. I never thought this would happen to my family. And in fact, I never thought John Smith would ever go missing. And they're kind of right. We know that disappearances are rare, that they're still, of course, uh, a very important, um, you know, illness in our society. They certainly damage families. Families fall apart because of them, and we tend to believe that murderers are getting away with it and everything. But they are still fairly rare. That doesn't mean they're not important. But because they are rare, most you know nobody thinks it's ever going to happen to them. So when you put something out there. You know, come to my website and read about what you what to do if you ever have a family member go missing. I don't think anybody would read it. So, um, and that's just human nature. And even so, there are so many variables regarding disappearances. I don't know how you could put together um you know, an instructional book, a booklet. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, it would have to be so general that I don't know if any particular family would be able to get anything out of it for their specific situation. Um, so that's just, you know, I'm here to help and everything, but I'm here to do what works. And I'm not here to do what, you know, what doesn't work. And that's just not something that um, seems to me would be, you know, you know, very helpful. Uh, I we we could talk about, you know, keep your head on a swivel, stay, you know, you don't want to go missing, stay out of, you know, you know, bad relationships. Uh, how long have we, at least in the United States, been saying, don't do drugs, don't t- do drugs, say no to drugs? People still do drugs. People still become addicts. So that's why um, there are so many recovery programs for addicts, even though we have all this information out there why you shouldn't do drugs. You know, and I think what I think what we've learned about drugs in particular is that people are going to either do them or not do them. Uh, I don't know if the messaging even matters. By this point, we all know that drugs aren't. You know that whether they are the illicit illegal ones, heroin, crystal meth or whatever, or the legal ones that you can become addicted to, everybody knows about all of that now. People still choose to do it. I don't know what you can do. 
So, uh, Jasmine, so you asked me if you could make a missing person checklist, what would that have? It would have a lot of things, but I just don't know if it would be particular to any particular disappearance. Uh, the only thing uh, that I've said that I think can cover all the bases is that if you have a missing a person go missing in your family, then immediately start writing down all of the people who you think might have wanted to harm that person. And I say that because by the time you start, families maybe start to realize, maybe I think this is foul play, days, if not weeks have passed, and then it's hard to try to figure out where these suspects were at that, you know, two weeks ago. It's very easy for them to come up with some alibi two weeks later. Whereas if that's on your mind right at that second, then it's not as easy for them to lie about their alibi. Now, it may not end up being a foul, being foul play. In fact, your missing person might not even be deceased. But given that of all these interviews that I've done, you start getting into, well, you know, somebody didn't even come forward till two weeks later, and it was hard to figure out, you know, this witness, did he, did he see her on a Saturday or on a Sunday? People's memories... Uh, you know, we've talked about this over and over. They're precise on certain things, but they are very imprecise on others. So that's what I would say. The one thing, missing a person goes missing, just start writing down everybody you think would have wanted to harm that person. Go find out where those person, people were. If that doesn't end up being foul play, then, uh, then, you, you, then at least you did that. Laura says, those random attacks are pretty rare, but very scary and sad. Yeah. You know, regarding disappearances, there's just not many of them that I think are random. Okay, I think I have uh, one more story here. Don't I have one more story here? I thought I had one more story here. Did it not get copied? Did it not get saved? Where is it? Oh, yeah, here we go. Galveston, Texas, uh, down there your way, Cherie. When a body washed ashore on the west end of Galveston Island, police put out a sketch asking, do you know this man? That was two years ago. Today, his face is still a mystery. But now, forensic, forensic genealogists say they will identify him. The 911 calls came in on Mother's Day 2020 in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, yes, stammered the man calling. I want to report a body on Kahala Beach in Galveston, Texas. Do we know if it's a male or female woman dispatcher, asked the second caller. I don't know, replied the woman, who said she was calling from her beach house. I really didn't want to look, and people are walking up now and taking pictures. Oh, my. The man had no identification on him. He was wearing black generic swim trunks and black Calvin Klein briefs underneath. Galveston police officer Danny Simpson shared crime scene photos with the unsolved team not seen by the public until now. But perhaps the most telling detail of all were the men's size 11 underarm and slides, which are like sandals, like flipper sandals, strapped to the man's hands, not his feet. His sandals were on his hands. He had been swimming and maybe tried to use those as a flotation device, Simpson said. The autopsy later revealed the man had indeed drowned. He was five foot five, likely in his 20s, but who was he? The current that day may have brought him in from the direction of the Bolivar Peninsula, 
Simpson said the U.S. Coast Guard suggested to him. Investigators waited for a call from someone who might be looking for this man, but no such call came in. Months passed, then two years, the case went cold, then the phone finally rang. I thought this uh, could possibly help me solve this case, Simpson said. It was a scientist from Othram, the private genetic testing lab in the Woodlands, which is in Texas, saying they could build a DNA profile for this John Doe and do it fairly quickly. Once the profile was built, forensic genealogists would start working to track down his family. Simpson figured it was worth a shot. Othram posted the case on its crowdfunding website, dnasolves.com. They'd need $5,000 to do the testing. Over the past year, people from all over the country donated. Now the case has been funded. I know for a fact that within a few weeks, we'll have a profile for this man, man's DNA, says Chris, Kristen Middleman with Othram. Othram can't say how long it could take those genetic genealogists to find this John Doe's family. He will be identified and we'll figure out what's going on, Middleman said. I can't tell you the number of cases we've solved that the Jane and John Doe case turned into an investigation that led to an arrest and sentence for someone. Simpson is hopeful that by next Mother's Day, um, uh, uh, 2023, I guess, a grieving family will have answers. Somewhere there's a mother looking for a son, and we would like for to at least give her some closure with that. Okay. And Charlotte says, Galveston, my old stomping grounds. Look at you, PJ, the Led Zeppelin uh, boxed set. What are you talking about there, PJ? Um, Charlie, so cool. Yes. Now, of course, the big question is, as I think we all often ask, how is it that remains can be found? And they have at least a decent description it's a very specific location, Galveston, Texas. The body obviously came in from the water. And here we are two years later, and nobody has been able to put this together even without the genealogy. Really, how many people could have been in the water and you know, with those sandals and everything else? How can this be? Well, um... You know, it could be uh, a variety of things. First of all, you have to think about <clears throat> NamUs. You know, I really only go to the missing person side of NamUs. I rarely go to the unidentified remains side. Back in the day, I used to go to the unidentified side all the time because uh, before I started Unfound, in fact, this even goes way back to when I lived in Las Vegas, you know, you could, uh, you know, I'd go to some Starbucks uh, in, at, in the evening and I'd go, um, you know, I'd pick out a missing person and then I'd go through all the unidentified remains and try to put them together really with unidentified remains that were found kind of in Nevada or nearby in California or in Arizona, because that's where I lived. So the issue is, well, how can all of these unidentified remains on NamUs, how can it be? How can it be that these just even without DNA, you know, people know if a friend or a family member is missing, you know, what's the deal? You'd think it'd just be going to the missing people, going to that list, going to the unidentified remains and, you know, just linking them up. And it should be fairly simple without genetics or anything else. But anybody who has tried it knows how tough it is. Why? And we have to keep a lot of things 
uh, in mind. And then I'll come back to talking about this young man who whose remains were found here. First of all, the way I look at it, it is just because it's just because these people, their unidentified remains are on the NamUs list, does not mean they are American citizens. Everybody who is on the NamUs missing persons list is an American citizen. That is not true for the unidentified remains. Why? Because we don't know who these people are. They could have come in from another country, whether we want to call it illegally or whatever. I'm not here to get into that. But they don't have a birth certificate from the United States. So that's a possibility. Two, it could be tourists who came here and, uh, you know, misadventure. Maybe they came to the United States to commit suicide. A lot of different possibilities. Maybe they went on a hike and uh, had a heart attack. And maybe, you know, if it's uh, like a a single person like myself going on a trip by himself, maybe he just really didn't tell anybody where he was going. And so there might be uh, friends and family in Germany who don't even know that this guy decided to take a trip just out of nowhere to the United States. He dies here and boom, it's a missing persons case. Even though he was known by people, but in Germany. And there's nothing on him, maybe he's not found for a long time, that would be able to tell, oh, this guy is not from the United States. He doesn't have his ID on him. Or sometimes you can even look at a person's clothes to know they're not, you know, an American, different styles, different places uh, in the world. So there's that. So we got tourists, we got people who are not citizens of the United States. Um, you know, different geographies could always, always be a situation too. Just because somebody disappears in Maine doesn't mean their remains can't be found in California. You just don't know. Uh, I think that when a lot of people are doing this, they're thinking, okay, well, a person disappeared from Maine. Doesn't sound like there's foul place. So probably maybe the person will be found in New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut. When really... The person, yes, went missing, and the remains are out in the desert in Nevada, and nobody could predict that. And I know that Heather Grotman on her on her uh, blog, the Lost and Found blog, she has two very, very good examples of this. Where, you know, was the guy from Texas or Arizona, and on Super Bowl Sunday he went missing. He was found in the state of Washington, like 24 hours later, he got hit by a car. What happened? Who knows? No foul play, but somehow he got there, just decided to take off. <laughs> he was missing, you know, and, you know, he's hit by a car walking, I think, in the center of the road or something, doing something very stupid. Um, who would predict that? And then there was a woman who uh, was with her husband. They took a trip to New York City. And she went missing, and I think her remains were found in New Jersey or Virginia or North Carolina, something like that, nowhere near where she was last seen. And still, I don't think anybody is exactly sure how she ended up where she was found, but it's not suspected there was any foul play. So this is how these things can happen, that... You'd think that remains would be easy to identify. All you got to do is look for 
missing people from that general area, but it's not that easy. So coming back to this young man here, you know, what strikes me is a, is a few things. Um, let's just put it this way. If somebody is actually trying to swim in any sort of uh, pool or the Gulf of Mexico or an ocean or anything, the best idea is probably not to use your, your shoes as paddles. So then I start thinking, could this person's uh, faculties been hampered in some way? Maybe was this person on drugs when this happened? Was this person drunk and tried to swim like this? Um, was this maybe uh, a young man who some, had some sort of mental incapacity, um, mentally handicapped or something? Uh, these are the things that start coming to mind. Also, we have to keep in mind, they say he was in his 20s, but he was only 5'5". Five, five. That's a lot shorter than the average American male is. I'm 5'9", and that's about average. This guy was four inches shorter than I am. So then I start thinking, well, there are some other countries where men just don't grow as, as tall. Like some Central American countries, it's not that there's any, that's just their genetics. If you go to like Costa Rica or Panama or Honduras, Nicaragua, the men there just because of their genetics just aren't as tall. Whereas maybe you go to Sweden and the men are a lot taller, as are the women. So I start thinking about that. Then I start thinking, well, you know, could this have been somebody from one of those countries that was in Texas, maybe uh, with no paperwork? Let's just put it that way. And this guy decided, decided to say take a swim for some reason, and you know, his family doesn't even know he's missing. So there's a lot of reasons why. Remains could be found in the United States, and still they're hard to identify. You get a lot of people coming from other places in the world, and a lot of these people that come here don't want to leave. We have students who come here on student visas. When the visa uh, expires, they don't want to leave, so they kind of just blend into the United States and hope that they don't get caught, however that works. A lot of tourists come here and don't want to come home. And then on top of everything else, this is a huge country. This, you know, even though we think about Germany, uh, for example, powerful country, England, powerful country, uh, you know, all these countries, great economics, etc. Um, you know, you can drive across Europe in a day. You can start in, you know, Romania and really get on the autobahn and go through all different languages and everything. You know, Germany, Belgium, the Netherlands, France. That's how those countries are not that big. The United States is huge. So you have somebody go missing in Maine, and they could end up in, in California. Whereas you go missing in Germany, you know, even, you know, you're probably going to be found somewhere else in Germany. Well, that's not going to be that far away. This is how you just have to think about it. So I think that there are things that we can look at this young man here and start to craft a kind of an idea about why it's two years later and nobody's come forward, even just from the shoes and where the shoes were on his hands and his height and, and the location and everything else. And I think that, that may go a long way to explaining why nobody's come forward yet. But there is the bigger question about NamUs. 
You have all these people. Why haven't they been identified yet? The list of missing people was right there. It's just a lot harder than that. Uh, Shree says, Galveston is one hour away from one of the top five most populated cities. So anyone could have moved from Houston or any of the small towns around. Some people are not even reported. Imagine being missing from Mississippi and now your body is in Galveston. Shree also says, I read, I read about a few cases where remains were found in Texas from Midwest states because people were headed out of the country south. Okay, so that is the final article. I, I just, uh, wanted to read that to find it um, very interesting. I think that can help us out a lot as we think about disappearances and what happens when we find remains and why they aren't identified yet. Uh, one more thing. I'll be doing an unfound now, being that it is the end of the month. All of you who are members, all you people with the green uh, names uh, there are all members. And uh, once again... Just join with the join button. Hit the join button down there. Uh, this month's Unfound Now, which will be coming out tomorrow for all the members, is going to be the disappearance of Dylan Rounds. It's a disappearance that has gotten a lot of attention, but it does fall within the criteria of, uh, uh, of an Unfound Now. It is um, roughly a month old, and you know how I pick recent disappearances uh, for Unfound Now. Um, so you can be looking for that for all of you members, be looking for it for tomorrow. All of you are not members for whatever reason, you're just going to have to wait to next week, but it is a long video. I do go through a map, do some analysis, do some learning points. You know what the unfound now, uh, script is like, uh, at this point, but Dylan rounds, a lot has been written about it. A lot of videos has been done on, on it. And now I guess I get my turn. All right, let's go to this Friday's disappearance. It is the disappearance of Holly White. And she disappeared from Taos, T-A-O-S, New Mexico. I think this might be our third visit to New Mexico. Third, I think. We did Leah Peebles, who disappeared from Albuquerque. And then there was Laverta Sorrell, who I think journeyed into... Um, New Mexico as well, up and though in the other corner. But Holly White uh, from Taos, New Mexico, she disappeared May 6th, 2016. And if you can believe it, uh, I'm having a private investigator as the guest. I know you're shocked. Uh, but uh, I think this is a good one. You know I have a lot of criticisms of private investigators, but I think that this um, woman is doing a very good job for Holly's family. Uh, she does live in New Mexico. She has organized some searches and some things. And so uh, that is who I interviewed, although I did get to talk to Holly's father. But he's a little bit old, a little hard of hearing. But uh, I did uh, get his opinion on everything as well. Uh, this will be a video or a, a podcast, an interview that is also video. So you will be able to find it on YouTube on Friday. The title of the episode is Going Away. Because uh, Holly was in the process of moving. Her husband had gone down to Albuquerque for a job, and she was now going to be joining him down there. And in fact, her house had been sold already at the time of her disappearance. She was just in the process of moving out. And there were boxes with all a bunch of stuff inside them. And then she goes missing. And 
The big issue with this is her car was found at a suicide spot outside of Taos, New Mexico. Of course, the problem is nobody saw her there. Nobody saw her jump off this bridge that is there. There were tons of searches, kayakers, everyone looking around downstream could find nothing. Whereas most people who jump off this bridge are found. So you're going to be asked to consider that. Once again, this uh, episode is called Going Away. It's the disappearance of Holly White, Taos, New Mexico, May 6, 2016. And I think in some ways this is going to remind you of the disappearances of Shane Fell, Jake Lachalet, and Ben Archer. So that's all I have uh, for all of you tonight. A- Ashley is uh, asking, what happens if you don't know how to swim? Uh, Ashley, I would say avoid the water. Um, so we did a ton of things tonight. Uh, great show, action-packed, a lot of information. Bentley, once again, a shout-out to Bentley. Bentley, everything's going to be fine. Don't you worry about a thing. You have many people who love you. You're going to be fine. Uh, subscribe to this channel, join, please be consider becoming a member with the button below talked about two weeks. I'll be in Illinois, um, the Cooper, uh, poll, new music for the live show, head injuries interview. That's out now. It's shout out Arizona drink company. Going to be advertising with unfound a newsletter later this week. Unfound now Dylan rounds will be out tomorrow for members. Um, didn't get to talk about James Tolliver. Just ran out of time. We did talk about him a little bit. Maybe we'll get to that next week. Talked about the murder of Jared Bridigan, Bridigan. Talked about this weird thing outside the fence of the Amarillo Zoo. Talked about Galveston, Texas, and this young man washing ashore. Took some questions, and that's it. Uh, Deborah says, why I'm in red? I don't know, Deborah. But uh, keep your head on a swivel out there. Refuse to be a victim. That's all I got. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening on the podcast feed. Uh, Give this video a thumbs up on YouTube or a five-star on the podcast platform. You know all that stuff. And you'll hear and see me on Friday. Good night. Charles, you take it easy.